Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas, and welcome back to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. It's your host, Martha and Ashley. Ashley, <laughs> I just got to see you this weekend, so I'm still feeling the warm fuzzies off the glow of our event. Um, what, what, a, what a delight it was, huh? What a delight it was. And the insomnia cookies that we got to enjoy together we, were worth the stomach ache. We made some strong choices. We made mm-hmm. some strong choices. Personally, I made some strong choices that did not help my, da- my dairy uh, allergy. Did I, I did break out in a full body rash, but it was worth it. Pri- so back up here. So we were deciding where to go to eat. And I mentioned a pizza place. And I kind of forgot about Martha's rash. Yeah. And she's like, I might get a rash, but like it's totally fine. And I was like, are you sure? So we're eating pizza, and I see the rash embarking upon her face. face. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, you have a legit allergy. I just will never give it up. I love it way too much. Um, (laughs) Well, it was a delight. And I know that uh, we'll be debriefing about it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're interested in learning more about that event or seeing the the recording of it, you can definitely check out our website because we are going to offer a a purchase of an on-demand video from that. And that's Mm -hmm. featuring Dr. Um, Parijat Deshpande, too. So, um, well, today... We have, you know, on the podcast, we either have the opportunity of interviewing um, a Nikki Mama to hear about her journey um, and, and her personal story, or sometimes we get to interview experts in the fields of obstetrics and maternal mental health and pediatrics. Today, we actually have a two-for-one deal. We have, <laughs> uh, we have Dr. Mona Amin of the Peds Doc Talk podcast and Instagram page. Welcome, Dr. Amin. Should we call you Dr. Amin or Mona? What you, would you prefer? You can call me Mona. I think after hearing your <laughs> allergy story and what happened, I <laughs> think we're, we're on a first name basis now. So you can call me, Dr. <laughs> you can call me Mona. <laughs> well, welcome. We're so glad to have you. I'm so happy to be here. And like you said, like sharing the perspective, both as a mom and as a pediatrician who had a son in the NICU, I think is going to be a great, um, great insight for your listeners. Absolutely. And uh, a little bit about you. You're a general pediatrician. You're board certified. You're still working in private practice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still working uh, in private practice. And then I have my Peds Doc Talk, which is my educational social media practice, if you will. I'm not really seeing patients, (laughs) but my my uh, education empire is what I like to call it. To really help remind parents that they're doing a fantastic job and giving them all the resources they need to make informed decisions. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's actually incredible. I saw that you're cl- you're nearing in on a hundred episodes. Mm-hmm. So I what actually have I, I'm a little bit sneaky. I on my podcast I have more. I think I have like a hundred and thirty, but I don't number all of them, which it was a mistake oh. I made because I have different <laughs> a different series of like um, the when people call into my podcast. So I think I have oh, one hundred thirty. Cool. I have one hundred thirty, but um, it's ninety nine officially numbered wise. Um, but I should gotcha. now I was like oh, I should have numbered them all, but now I, now I can't <laughs> go back. I don't know how to do that 
Oh, I know. The, the podcast game is so confusing. Like season, we've had so many conversations about it. When do we start our next season? How does this work? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it's so exciting. And I also thought it was kind of crazy. You started your podcast like the week the pandemic started. I know. Yes, I did. March, 2020. And I, wow. I took, so I had my son, um, and in, you know, because you don't have enough to do in maternity leave. Um, I was like, I want to start a podcast. Um, and it's something that I wanted to do for so long. And I was like, you know what? I have time when he's napping. Like, I know I shouldn't probably, I should probably rest, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this because it's something I wanted to do. And then when I went back to work, it wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. So my husband looked at all, how to, how to set it up. We bought all of the equipment. We, you know, downloaded our platform, paid for the subscriptions. And then I started and it was surprisingly, I was very anxious because I was like, I don't know if people are going to listen because they're not commuting, you know, literally a week after or a week before things shut down is when I announced sure. it. And I was like, oh my gosh, but thankfully it's been doing well. And then this year has yeah. been, every year just gets better and better. So more yeah. people hear it, more mm-hmm. people share it. That's how podcasting goes. So learning <laughs> so much as I go to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know as, um, you know, I see your posts up on my personal and on the Dear Nikki Mama account. And what I appreciate about your account so much is you do address, you know, pediatrician type things like illness and what is, you know, those types of things. But you really are committed to empowering the parent and really empowering. And I felt like during the peaks of COVID, you really gave us courage to set boundaries Mm -hmm. to, you know, how we felt about visitors and that kind of thing. And I know whenever we see those types of things from pediatricians or from people in the medical field it always gives us that boost of confidence to do it and so I appreciate that you um, are advocating for kids but also for the parents yeah yes it's so important we and that's actually my whole goal of my of Pete's dog talk and also in my clinical practice is that we can focus all our time on baby and what baby needs but we also have to get the parent in the mindset that they are making Mm -hmm. the best decision so that they own it because a kid will know, as especially as a kid gets older, they know when their parent doesn't believe what they're what they're act, asking the kid to do. <laughs> yeah. So I always say it's like our mindset and how we own up. Like when even with boundary setting with toddlers, like you have to own it and say this is what we're doing, and mm-hmm. you don't have to love it. And this is what I want. And it's such con- and it's not like it's not um, ego. It's just confidence and understanding that you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. And that's okay. Right. That's Mm -hmm. what I do as a pediatrician. I know many things, but I also don't know everything. Um, And so that's why I like to um, explain it with being a mom or dad too. Like you will know certain things and other things you're going to go to the experts. Um, And that's what we do. And that's where I, you know, hopefully come in for a lot of families um, in the pediatric Mm -hmm. aspect. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I love too that it's kind of growing. Like as as your parenthood journey is kind of growing with Ryan, it seems like the podcast and your content is growing, which I appreciate too because we're in the toddler years. So I saw the recent episode about validating your toddler's mm-hmm. emotions while they're and I, you know, I downloaded that immediately. Because <laughs> Ashley knows I, my child is trying to murder me, yes, so yes. it'll be really helpful. Emotionally or physically um, murder you? <laughs> I hope more emotional. I hope more emotional, but both. Yes, yes. yes. No, both, they, both um, yeah, sure. it's totally, yes. It's so, it's evolving for sure. I learn different things as I become a mom and I learn, I learn the, what I call the pain points, the pain points that mothers <laughs> go through. And especially, you know, I, I speak to dads too, but I sp- spoke to my husband. My husband was like, um, you know, 
I, I think he's like, it's true. Women go through different experience. He's like, you don't have to address men all the time. Like, of course, men can get information from your account, but you are a mom and you share so much of your mom life. So go ahead and share mom stuff. Men can follow you. And if they don't resonate, they'll stop following. But we don't really need a lot of that stuff. Um, so at least I don't. So I'm like, yeah, you're yeah. right. Um, and so, or, or they don't know they need it. Maybe it's a better point. But um, yes, mm-hmm. I love sharing all this information and evolving as I become a mom too. Yeah, yeah for so cool. sure. So starting, you know, kind of at the beginning of your career, how did you decide that peds was for you? I always wanted to be in the medical field. This has to do with my mom being in the medical field. She's not a physician, but she worked in a lab. And um, growing up, I just saw how much she loved going to the hospital and she just was always happy. That also could have just been my mom. Um, she was She's a very upbeat, happy person, um, but she loved it. And she had a lot of job security. And you know, immigrant parents, they, they drill home job security till like to the grave. They're like, you need to get a job that is going to give you a life, a lifetime of security. And so that's why a lot of us go into Indian immigrants, go into medicine, lawyer, um, business, you know, things like that, that will guarantee a life, a quality of life with finances. Right. Um, and so then I had that in my head growing up that, okay, I'm going to go into one of those big Indian American fields that all of these immigrant children go into. But then I was like, let me see what I would want to do. Um, so I just loved going to my doctor. Honestly, I just thought he was fascinating. (laughs) He was also a DO, which I am too, an osteopathic doctor. And he just, the way he spoke to me, the way he was so straight edge, like he was all like when I would go in and complain about retrospectively bullshit stuff, he would be like, Mona, I need you to stop complaining and take care of this and stop coming into my office. And I love that. Like many people won't, but I loved it for me. And then I was like, you know what? I am whining a little bit too much. I need some, a little bit tough love. Like I'm a grown up now. I'm 18. I don't need to be going into my pediatrician's office <laughs> complaining that I'm sick all the time. You know, this is like a teenager. He wouldn't say that to me as a young child, um, but it was so needed. Um, and then I just loved learning about medicine. And then pediatrics just seemed like the perfect specialty because medicine it's the only specialty that goes downstream as you can. When I talk about downstream, like adults have all their issues already. It's really hard to change lifestyle for an Mm -hmm. adult. But when you can get them at the beginning, and when I say get them, meaning lifestyle, how are we going to um, approach sleep, nutrition, stress, tantrums, all of that lays a foundation for a rest Mm -hmm. of our emotional and physical well-being. You know, I talk to my husband a lot about the things that bring families into the ER um, are usually stress-related, um, diet related, right? Lifestyle related. So how, how can we create a foundation for a healthy quote unquote lifestyle for our children? And that's having a great relationship with sleep, meaning valuing sleep as something that's very important. And that's the priority. You know, I, I know a lot of families do a lot of late bedtimes, a lot of that on a regular basis, which has an impact on how we learn and how we function. So bets, how we manage sleep, nutrition, the importance of variety of different foods. So I teach parents about picky eating and all of that. Um, And then how we manage stress. And that goes down to how a parent would deal with tantrums. So it goes Mm -hmm. down to parenting um, a lot. And I I don't, it's not putting a lot of pressure on us. It's just understanding that we are our parents. We are our child's guide in this world for the first 21 years. And it's not pressure. It's an awesome responsibility, right? I mean, this is our role that we are now taking on. And when you have the right tools, you're going to do an amazing job. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not, 
it's not hard work. It's just, it's knowing the right skills and just implementing them into your daily life. Right. Um, it's just saying and reframing a lot of the things maybe you're already doing. So pediatrics is where it was at. I just felt so excited to help families from the beginning. And then also just grow with them. I mean, I have families that I've seen, I've been at my practice for four years, you know, they're four years old, or I've had a teenager who was 16 is now 20. And is like, Dr. Mona, I don't want to leave you because now they're approaching 21. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, you got to go. Um, you know, like, it's like, but it's so hard for me because I, I grow, I grow very close to these people. You know, I, I grow close. I know what they like. I know how school's going. It's like a very awesome experience, almost being a part of these people's families but not. Mm -hmm. Um, and then feeling so trusted, you know, like they want to know, Dr. Mona, what do you feel about this? What do you feel about this vaccine? I trust you. I'm coming to you and I will drive three hours to see you because I only want to see you and I miss you. And I'm like, that's so nice. So it's such a beautiful (laughs) thing. Um, and that's, I don't think a lot of specialties will give you that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I know for NICU families, um, you know, Next to the nurses that you have in the NICU, your pediatrician is your first medical provider that you really establish a relationship with. And so I know both Martha and I have talked often about how much we value our pediatrician because they were the first ones to give us the tools post-NICU of like, okay, how do I do this in this germ-infested world, yes, you know? And right. so, yeah. you know, I know as a NICU mom, it's it's just really powerful when you find a pediatrician that can walk you through some of those big decisions and really give you the confidence that you need to, to do life at home with your baby yeah so you have the unique perspective of not only having a remarkable practice but also being a NICU mama yourself and so would you be willing to share a little bit about your family building journey and your pregnancy with your son yeah so um we decided we actually were putting off trying to get pregnant for a bit when we got married you know I know some people have different plans we wanted to create some financial security this was very important for us um, having a lot of medical school debt I know this is not always a priority for a lot of people but we said you know let's try to bring our loans down a little bit and then we'll start trying to get pregnant so when we finally started to try to get pregnant I was 33 and a half maybe years old um 33 and a half maybe um I'm trying to get the exact year uh but we decided no sorry I was uh yeah 33 and so then we decided (laughs) to start getting pregnant um and I was you know I'm very I was very type a before Ryan's delivery um meaning when I have an idea I'm going to do it and the idea and the hard work will lead to the result. That's kind of how I work in life. But that doesn't work with pregnancy. That doesn't work with a lot of things, as we know, with being a parent, right? So I was so fixated on getting pregnant, meaning I was doing the ovulation tests, I was doing the kits, and it wasn't a long time getting pregnant, but it would be like one month go by, two months go by, three months go by, nothing was happening. And I was, and then I was like, something's wrong here. So then I ended up um, buying a different type of ovulation kit, which really marked it a little bit better started actually got pregnant two months after that um it was actually a few weeks after starting peds doc talk my instagram account because i needed a distraction from like pressuring my husband to have sex so it was like i was like i was like we need to not make this like so tasky and make this very like you know and so i i started my peds doc talk we got pregnant that next cycle um with ovulation testing and i got pregnant and funny enough i actually found out i was pregnant at the OB's office. I went to meet the OB, a new OB to just get a regular checkup. And she's the one who did the urine test (laughs) and found out that I was pregnant. 
So oh I didn't even take a pregnancy test. It was at my, <sighs> my doctor's office. And she, her MA was like, you know you're pregnant, right? And I'm like, no, I'm here to find out about how to get pregnant. And she's <laughs> like, and she's like, no, 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 you're, you're pregnant right now. And I'm like, you figured it out. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, that's not possible. Like I, cause I just didn't believe it. And then she showed me the urine test and that was Ryan. Um, and I had a very healthy pregnancy, um, very healthy up until probably about the end of the pregnancy. I was having some minor blood pressure elevations, but nothing that was so that needed any medicine or anything like that. Just some questions, some thoughts about induction. Um, but I was just mon- being monitored every week. Like a lot of moms are in that last trimester or the last few weeks. Um, but yeah, I had a, I had a beautiful pregnancy. I was one of those people that loved being pregnant. Like I just felt, you know, until about 34 weeks, I loved it after 34 weeks. I was like, I feel like, uh, like a beached whale. Like I just felt so heavy and, and like everything just felt tight. I kept saying like, I just feel so tight. Like everything is just so bloated. Um, but up until 34 weeks, I was like walking around with my belly and like wearing tight, tight dresses. Cause I felt so cute. Um, I loved it. I loved it. Um, and then as we'll talk about things went a little bit different, um, with the delivery and what happened. Um, but yeah, I was, I was joyous. I had that great, great experience, um, a healthy pregnancy, you know, what everyone could dream of, um, up until, you know, the delivery. Up until like, because you are a physician, right? Did you have any worries or anxieties or, I mean, I think most, most pregnant women probably have some, some things that come up in their mind or they're reading what to expect and, or whatever, and things pop up. Did you feel any anxiety or worry? Yeah. In that first trimester, I had worries about miscarriage. You know, I know it happens. And I think a lot of women in that first trimester do because I wanted this baby so badly. And I think everyone would, Mm -hmm. right? Like you, you, I was worried about working out. I, even though my doctor said it was fine, even though I know it's fine as a, as a pediatrician, all of this stuff was harder, but when I was actually feeling it, you know? You know, I didn't do weightlifting. Like I weightlift, even though I know some weightlifting is okay. I was so timid. I was just so scared. Um, and I, you know, I look back and I think it's all protective. We get anxiety to protect ourselves and our children. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of what it is. Um, it wasn't overwhelming anxiety that wasn't able, I wasn't, I was able to manage it with some meditation, yoga, like all of that stuff that have really helped. Uh, and then other anxieties that came up is, I, I did have an anxiety all the time of that. Of, it sounds really crazy, but I, I felt like we were going to need the NICU. And it sounds so, mm-hmm. it sounds so weird. Like, why would you think that? But I, I know, and I told my husband, he's like, you can't think like that. I was like, why are all our doctor friends having children with medical issues? Like, I, I asked him this. He's like, I don't think it's all of our doctor friends. I just think it's like life, like people have medical issues. I'm like, I know, but every single one of our friends has had either difficulty getting pregnant or had a medical issue. What's going to be our issue? Like I said that Mm -hmm. to my husband, like when I was pregnant and he's like, well, I don't know. I mean, we'll see, you know, you're, you're healthy. And, and then, um, I'll talk about a little bit about what happened with the delivery and afterwards, but there was a lot of weird, weird premonitions. And I actually was worried more that, uh, not worried, but I was thinking that if preterm labor, right. I'm like, I know it happens. I'm very petite. Um, I'm very thin. I was like, does that, and I know medically that doesn't make sense, but I was like, what if I have preterm labor? Like, will we be able to, you know, should we get everything ready earlier? And I was like, nope, everything's good. We're monitoring everything. Everything's going well. Um, but it was really this sort of weird, like, is everything okay? Um, am I okay doing all of this? But it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't to the point where I was not able to do my normal activities or anything like that, especially after that second trimester hit. Um, and then, yeah, I was, but it was just more reframing and 
I did Google. I mean, I don't Google a lot of pediatric yeah. stuff, but I Googled a lot, like, <laughs> about pregnancy. Like, how many kicks should I feel? And, you know, I'm not an OB. I'm like, how what about this? And what about this? Like, pregnancy-related, because I'm not an OB. Um, but probably not a good idea. Uh, but definitely <laughs> went through all of that. I think a lot of moms do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So we've heard you hint that we'll hear a little bit yeah. about your delivery. But would you be willing to share about your delivery leading into your NICU experience? Yeah. So I think um, it's it's crazy. It's a crazy story. Um, and you people can read even more detail. And if they want a good cry, you can read it on my Instagram um, on the black and white images on my feed. But um, so I, I was going to be induced on a Thursday um, and I was, you know, I was kind of bummed about being induced. I was very, I had done like all this like spiritual stuff. Like I had done um, meditation. I had done um, a lot of yoga, a lot of stuff to just get me in the mindset. I thought I wouldn't have a medicated birth. I was in that mindset. Okay. <laughs> Definitely didn't go that route. That's okay. Looking back. Um, and so I was bummed about being induced because I was like, well, I would love for my baby to come naturally at the time that the baby's supposed to come. Okay. This was my mindset. And then, um, that was on a Thursday, but because I was having elevated blood pressures, not to the point of preeclampsia, but just getting high, my OB was like, look, I just really feel like it's best to induce you at 39 weeks. There's no reason that we have to wait your blood pressure. You're getting uncomfortable. Let's just do it. I was like, sounds good. So that was on a Thursday, but my water broke on a Sunday. So the Sunday before, and I was like, oh my gosh, like we're going. So my water broke. Um, I went to the hospital. We checked in. Everything was exciting. Um, I was dilated. And then my dilation was just taking a very long time. They had to give me Pitocin um, or they gave me Pitocin. They gave me, um, I, I took the epidural because the Pitocin pain, I don't know if anyone has ever had Pitocin yeah. without epidural. It was so bad like for me the pain level that I was like give me the freaking epidural so I got the epidural there was like a 20 minute window where I got Pitocin and I was just cramping like like meaning going into I was in labor and I was like and then once I got the epidural it was good but then I ended up not not dilating so I was um my water broke at around one in the morning and um 10, 11 p.m. was approaching, so 10 hours, and I still was only like six centimeters, and there was no dilation, and then I still wasn't dilated, approaching 24 hours. So that was, this was now like one in the morning. So my doctor wow. came in, and she was like, "Look," and I I was in a lot of discomfort. My thankfully Ryan didn't have any D cells or anything on his heart rate, but we were just getting to a point where he was coming down the canal already. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't dilated. So I couldn't push. I was, I was one, I was nine centimeters for about five hours and you can't push on nine centimeters. You have to be 10. Otherwise you rip, you risk a lot of things. So Ryan's head was felt like they could feel his full head of hair. They could feel Mm -hmm. it, but I couldn't deliver vaginally. So we had the conversation about C-section. I was all for it. You know, I felt a little bit sad because I wanted that experience of vaginally delivering. Um, all the nurses were like, I've had four C-sections. I've had this many C-sections. You could do a V back after I was okay. We went into the, into the C-section room and that is when things was not, did not really go according to plan from a C-section. So we rolled in there. Um, I got my, you know, I was put on there, anesthesia, whatever needs to be there. My, I see my OB, I see the anesthesiologist, the same one I saw in the room. My husband's all gowned up. He took a selfie of us, like all of that stuff that we do. And then when they opened me up um, and she was trying to get Ryan out, they couldn't get him out. So he was so long. My son is so tall and he's so long. 
and they couldn't get him out. So he was stuck. And so they, they couldn't pull him because if they pull him, they risk injury, right? They can't just pull a kid. You have to, you, there's a way to take a baby out of the, of the womb. And I, my, my, I was contracting so much around him that they had no way of getting him out. So now this is minutes going by where he's now open and going through stress. So his body's in stress. They are trying to relax my uterus. They're dump. They're giving me all these meds to relax my uterus to get me to like to not be so contracted around my son. Are you awake? I'm awake because yeah, it's a C-section. So you're awake, hearing everything. The panic in the room, the yelling, the calling for backup. Mm-hmm. My husband looks up and is almost passing out. So I look over to him and he's like, this is not good. And he's panicking and he's a doctor and he's like, this is not good. This is not good. And I'm like, what's Mm -hmm. not good? I can't see anything. What's not good. Mm -hmm. And he's like, they can't get him out. And I'm like, what do you mean? You can't get it out. Like get him out. Like he just pull him out. Like it's not that hard. And he's like, they can't get him out. Like they can't find him. They can't pull him. And Mm -hmm. it's like straight panic in the room. Um, and as a pediatrician, like, I know, I'm like, shit, like, what's going on? Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, I'm like, Gaurav, you need to get the NICU down here. Like, you need to tell them to get the NICU down here because I already know what this means, you know? Like, and again, it's because of all the things I've seen. And I'm like, yeah. please get the NICU. Like, is the NICU coming? Because if they can't get a baby out, what does that mean for the baby when it comes out, right? Mm-hmm. And so he, um, so then they finally got Ryan out and he was blue, um, mm-hmm. you know, and they had to get someone to help push him from above, from below, like from my vagina, like push up. Oh my so gosh. they, they had one hand going below and my OB pulled from above. So they needed, wow. she, she couldn't do it because of the way everything's positioned. So she needed another OB to come wow. in. I don't know how much time had passed. The, they get him out. He's blue. He's limp. His APGAR was two. Okay. I mean, if you know mm-hmm. APGARs, you would like an APGAR. Yeah not to be too, um, blue and limp. I didn't see him. And I, to this day, I'm grateful I didn't see him because there were so many people now at this point that Nikki was there. Thank God. Um, and all I saw was my husband just get pale in the face and fall to the ground. And I'm like, like, meaning he, he was so overwhelmed and I'm like, you need to go outside. Like you need to get out of this room if you can't be here because he was so overwhelmed and he was like almost on the verge of vomiting. And so I'm like, so he left the room and they were resuscitating Ryan. So now I have a straight view of the NICU, like of the resuscitation area. And all I see is a blue foot and um, them just doing like CPR on him and trying to get him to, you know, to revive and they got him. And I see the color come back and I just made eye contact with one of the NICU nurses. And I just knew, I'm like, you know, he's okay, but they had to take him, right? It's not, this wasn't like a complete, you know, so they had to intubate him. Um, and then they rolled him. So I didn't even get to see him. I didn't even know what he looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that point, I pat, like, with all the medicine, they sedate. Like, I, I don't know what medicines they gave. I still don't know to this day. I think I blocked it out. But they sed- yeah. I was sedated, so I, I fell asleep in the, in the oh, OR. Yeah. So the next thing I remember is me waking up post in the PACU. Um, and I just kept, you know, and, or sorry, my husband had come, my husband went to the NICU and then came to the PACU and I was waking up and I was groggy from all the medicines. And I kept asking like, how's he doing? And by that point they were able to get him off the intubation and put him on a CPAP. Um, and, and he's like, he looks great. Like he's on CPAP. They're going to try offering him for, um, formula because you're not, you know, you ha- right now. And I'm like, that's okay. And I kept asking him, I was like, my husband, I was like, well, how is he neurologically? Like, what's going on? Is he okay neurologically? And I'm like, why are you? And he's like, yeah, he's fine. I'm like, did he have a seizure? And she was, he's like, why are you asking? No, he's fine. And I'm like, he wasn't, he was blue and limp for minutes. Like, is he okay? You know? And I, again, this is me knowing, and it's this weird yeah. premonition thing. Right. Um, and so then I was like, okay. And I felt better. 
And then it wasn't until 13 hours of his life that I was able to go see him because I was recovering. I had fever post-op. They had to give me some antibiotics. Um, Mm -hmm. So I went 13 hours and I finally saw his face and it was, you know, I, I, I think a lot of moms may describe it, especially Nikki moms. Like I almost felt like, I don't think I've talked about this much, but I've almost, I almost felt like I was looking at someone else's baby, um, mm-hmm, yeah. where you just feel yeah. like it's not your kid. And I, yeah. and I look back at some of the videos of me looking at him and I, I, you can tell that I'm not comfortable. Like I look at the video and it's like, I'm like telling my mom, like, he's cute, right? He's very mm-hmm. cute. He's, mm-hmm. it, he looks like me, right? Like almost like I'm justifying that yeah. he's my baby yeah. and I, I have to figure yeah. out how to love him. And it was yeah. really hard mm-hmm. because I look, when I look back at those videos, I look back sometimes just because it's not like that anymore. But I think that's something that people don't recognize, that yeah. you do feel like you're looking from above. Like you feel mm-hmm. like you're yeah. having this outer body experience that this isn't really happening to me. And mm-hmm. he was all tied up to all the wires. We tried breastfeeding. It didn't really work because of all the, you know how it is yeah. in the NICU. It's just so medical right it's just so much like you don't have the comfort of like just being in your chair or none of that it's medical it's wires and iv boards it's so Mm -hmm. like not easy and fun so we i pumped um and he was fine and then 20 you know i was okay um that day i felt great after i saw him i felt good he looked amazing he was guzzling down bottles i was like okay pediatrician mind He's eating well. He's out. He's um, he's on room air. By the time I visited, he was on room air. I was like, yeah. amazing. He's doing everything great. And he looks like a peach. Like, we're going to go home. And so then I was a million. I felt like a million bucks that day. I think it was the anesthesia still there. I was like my, you know, I was I was able to eat again. I was playing cards with my mom that night. Like when we, you know, when we were in between visits, I was so happy and excited and ready. And then Tuesday I was visiting him. And I noticed that he um, was having these twitch movements on his left side. And I was like, hmm, they're not, they're not stopping. Like, it, it seemed, you know, and I know newborns twitch a lot. So I was like, maybe I'm just reading into it. And then um, I, told, I told them on rounds. And they're like, we'll keep an eye on it because it happened once. And then um, they weren't dismissive. They, they recognized it. Let's watch it. And they're like, no, it could just be newborn. I'm like, no, I agree. And then I saw it again. And it was obvious. And I still have the video. It was obvious twitching. Mm-hmm. And it was left-sided. I couldn't suppress it. His eyes were twitching. And I, I called for the neurologist um, because I wanted them to do the neurology referral because my gut told me that something was not right. Like, this isn't, it didn't feel like normal twitching. So they got the neurology referral. She had come. She saw a normal exam, so she left. And it was after she left when I was holding him that I felt it. And then I took a video of it. And I, caught my, I told my husband, I'm like, you need to go get her. And she came back. She saw it. And then we got an EEG, got um, a Keppra load, all this, because he had, a, he had seizure activity on EEG. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got medicine on board. The seizure stopped with that medicine. And then um, they got an they got a MRI a, a day later, and they found out that he had a stroke. So he had an ischemic mm-hmm. stroke from the trauma of the delivery, um, mm-hmm. which can happen. And I mean, our world collapsed. I mean, we felt like, how is it that our healthy baby, healthy pregnancy is now and a healthy term? You know, this baby who had no signs of anything is now has a stroke, and we mm-hmm. don't know what that'll mean. You know, you don't know what infant stroke mean. It could mean everything, or it could mean nothing. Um, and that was the NICU experience. Um, the hardest thing that I'll briefly talk about on here, I don't want to go into more detail because you can read my post. It was my experience was that I ended up having complications from my C-section. So not only was Ryan in the NICU, I was in the ICU for five days, yeah. having now not being able to visit him for about eight, seven days, I didn't get to visit him. 
um, because mm-hmm. I ended up needing surgery. I had abscesses in my abdomen. I was spiking fevers. It was a whole big mm-hmm. thing. Um, vomiting bile. I mean, it was awful, like awful experience. And not, and you know, not being able to visit him as we know already visiting your baby as an NICU parent is a lot very emotionally triggering because you can't hold them as much. You can't do everything as much. The breastfeeding is off. I mean, everything was just awful. I mean, I didn't like anything about it. I mean, I don't think anyone does. I yelled at a lot of people, even though I know it needs to happen. They made me wear a mask because it was flu season. And I was like, this is before the pandemic. And I freaking cursed everybody out. I'm like, this is my fucking baby. Like, I want him to see my face. Why do I have to wear a mask? Like, this is, you know, it's all of that protocol stuff that I just got Mm -hmm. so mad about because I was angry, Uh, you know, I was grieving. Um, I apologize, but I was so angry at everything. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. why do I, no, I'm vaccinated against the flu. Why do I have to, so I, I, he want, I, he hasn't even seen me for 13 hours and now I have to wear a freaking mask. Like this is a bunch of bullshit. Like it was so, I was so mad. And then I, you know, I calmed down. I remembered what needs to happen here. Um, and yeah, I mean, for, for six, seven days, six, seven days, I wasn't able to visit him. And I had to look at that stupid NICU camera and I call it stupid because I was so angry and bitter that I couldn't visit him. Like I was like, cause I was, I had to, I couldn't, I had a fever. They wouldn't allow you, which I understand. I was, I couldn't move. Like I was in, like my belly was the size of like a nine month old pregnant woman. So I couldn't mm-hmm. do anything. Um, and I just would watch the camera and I stopped looking at the NICU camera because it would make me more sad. You know, they were like, look at the NICU camera when you're breast, when you're pumping. I, I can't pump anymore. Like, I can't mm-hmm. do it. Like, I'm, I'm febrile. I'm septic. And I have surgery. I had surgery. Like, I can't even move my body. Like, pumping yeah. is the last thing on my mind. So I stopped pumping in the NICU or in the ICU. I went to formula. I dealt with that grief of making that decision for a day. And then I owned it. And I felt so good after that. I took that, I took that pump home, that medical grade pump. And Mm -hmm. I I looked at it every day. My husband's like, are you going to do it? And I'm like, no, I I don't know. I have no idea. But it makes me feel so mechanical. Like, it's for me, right? Everyone's different. But for me, it really took away from Ryan, right? The pumping reminded me of how medical everything was from our delivery, from being in the NICU. And I just didn't want to be attached, me or him, to any more wires. I'm like, no more wires for us. No more, no more things. I want to be with you. And if that's formula feeding you, that's what it's going to be, you know? And that's the decision I made. And it it felt so good when I made that decision, but it was tough. You know, I mean, I, I was so angry. I was sad. I cried so much in the NICU and I, it was so weird seeing my colleagues. I mean, these are residents that I take care of, that I teach in my office. These are colleagues that I have called for consults, right? Now they're having to give me advice. These are neurologists that I've sent patients to, and they're having to give me optimism of how my child's going to turn out. And, you know, I'm having to kind of sometimes argue with them about don't do this formula. I don't, he doesn't need this. Like I had to advocate for him because they were trying to make changes. And I'm like, medically, that makes no sense. You know, that doesn't make sense. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put, he doesn't need phototherapy. He doesn't need this. Why are we doing this? Less, less, less. Like, what can I do to minimize? Like, I am very, you know, even though I'm a physician and I'm pro a lot of intervention, I'm very big on if it's needed, right? And I'm like, I don't want things done that are not needed for my patients and for my own child. I, I believe in that. And I was that mama bear in the NICU, you know? I was like, hey, can we, can we talk about why? And I, you know, I'm glad that they listened to me. I'm glad that we got the diagnosis. But, oh, man, overwhelming, not seeing him, the pumping experience, all of it. It's just so heavy and so not talked about. And I think we're told to, like, I was told so many times by my mom, 
oh, but he's here, he's healthy, you know, you have to be strong. And I'm like, I freaking want to cry every day, so just let me cry. I would look at him, and I would just cry. Like, I would just start crying. My mom's like, be strong, be strong. I'm like, mom, stop telling me to be strong. I want to be vulnerable right now. I want to cry because my baby is attached to all of these wires, and I don't know what his health outcome is going to be. I have no idea. Are we going to need years of therapy? Are we going to, is he going to walk? Is he going to talk? I have no idea. I have no idea as a general pediatrician what's going to happen with my own son. And that is terrifying because I know the good, the good and the bad, right? I know what strokes can do and I know that kids are resilient, but I also know that there are rare chances that if it affects the right area, that it can cause some severe damage. And I don't know. And that is what it is. It's about allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I think, well, first of all, I thank you for sharing your story. I always think it's incredible um, to watch NICU moms like you like relive it because mm-hmm. we we get pulled in there with you. It's so clear that the memories still are so close to your heart. So I thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that. I know it's 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 emotional. It takes mm-hmm. a toll again, right? You get drawn right back in. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's crazy. It's like two years, you know, two years later, mm-hmm. and you move. And I I've talked about grief so much on my um my my page and stuff. And I always say I'm like you you don't look people don't realize that grief is not just death, right? We think we, yeah. we tend socially to think of grief as someone died, but grief is the loss of anything that you expected for your life, right? So healthy yeah. baby, healthy, like a, a C-section, whatever it is that you have had planned. And then we tend to think that we, grief goes away, but it never goes away. We just grow around it, right? We, we, the grief stays the same size and we just grow around it. We get bigger, we learn, we learn to cope. And when you talk about it, it feels good, to talk about it. You know, it feels good knowing, especially your community, our moms who either went through it or may find themselves going through it. And it feels mm-hmm. so therapeutic to talk about it and, re- and relive it to, with people that understand, you know, um, yeah. that's that. Thank yeah. you for inviting me on. And I know this was something that we've been planning to do for so long and maybe yeah. I wasn't ready. Like, I think I, I think mm-hmm. I might have pushed back subconsciously because I was like, yeah. maybe I'm not ready to share this story again. Um, had I, yeah. you know, I felt like I had recovered and I am, I do feel like I've move forward, but I will never, ever forget, you know, you'll never forget it. It'll always be, Ryan will always have had, he'll ask me when he gets older and I'll, I'll tell him the story and I'll tell him how Mm -hmm. strong he was and how strong we were. And that's so cool that he'll learn the things that he has been able to do after such trauma, you know, even when he, even when he didn't even know, like he didn't even, he just lived. He just was like, okay, I'm just going to breathe and eat. And that's it. That's all Mm -hmm. I know how to do, you know? So I love kids even more after what happened. You know, I I have such a strong appreciation for my son and all children. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to commend you too, because, um, you know, not only did you advocate for your son and for your care, both in and out of the NICU, but you also advocated for your right to grieve. Mm -hmm. And I think what you did with your mom in that moment was a really powerful step of, and a reminder to moms that, you know, when others unintentionally, you know, I'm sure your mom's intentions were pure of like, oh, but he's here, he's healthy. We get that all the time. But really advocating for your right to grieve because in that moment, grief was necessary. Feeling what you felt was necessary. And so I also want to commend you for giving yourself that space at the time to cry, to allow yourself to feel the pain of seeing your child in intensive care because like it stays with you. It stays with you and it's important to feel those things. And so I also want to commend you for that. Oh, thank you so much. Powerful, yeah. And especially when you're sick too, I think, like you said, um, this this grief is really about 
the comparison of expectations yep. versus reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you describe this expectation of, you know, ideally wanting a vaginal birth and obviously doing skin to skin afterwards. And you're a pediatrician, so you know all mm-hmm. of the beautiful benefits and things. Mm-hmm. So all of the kind yeah. of ins and outs. And mm-hmm. so um, when it's uh, so stark, you know, even starting from the experience of they can't get them out, right? And you're seeing your husband who, I don't know if we mentioned, but he's an ER doc yeah. getting faint, are right. you kidding? <laughs> like that must take, it takes a lot he to get to never, that point, right? never, I mean, he has seen the most horrific, horrific right. things in the ICU or in the ER. And he tells me it like, like a, not a giddy kid, but he's like, oh, I got to do this really cool procedure. Like, you know, I got to do this oh, and I'm gosh. like, ew, like, I can't believe that. And yes, it's, it was definitely, he never felt that way ever before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I mean, it was hard for us. Yeah. I mean, him seeing me go through that and, and my son, yeah. like he actually went through a lot of depression like that we don't even talk we don't we haven't even talked about the partners you know the non-birthing yeah. partners depression that can happen and anxiety mm-hmm. that can happen postpartum yeah. yeah absolutely so this is I you know I know this is something we kind of planned on but how do you how are you two moving through that because like you said two years it's still pretty present you know it moves and changes as Ryan gets older and as your marriage grows I mean what are the things that you're doing to, to support your healing? We, for both, we of you? both, you know, when we were in, when I was in the ICU and stable, like I told, I turned to him and I'm like, whatever happens, we need to do therapy. I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. care if we're in a good space or not, this is going to affect us. And whether it's three months down the line as PTSD, I don't care. Like it's going to happen. Like I know I have enough insight into mental health to know that trauma is, has a weird way of, of circling its head back. So, um, I said, I'm like, we have to go see a therapist. So we saw together, we saw a therapist for about five sessions and then we went individual. Um, and we did, I, you know, he did individual sessions for about a couple months and he was fine. Um, he, we both had to be on medicine for a little bit, like anxiety medicine. Um, I had really severe postpartum depression, eight months postpartum. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of it had to do with me leaving Ryan to go to work. Because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. I got to do telemed for a long time, but then I had to go to in-person and I felt from a NICU, I, I don't know if it was the NICU or what, I will never know, but I felt so much grief leaving him for to go to work. And I, I felt like I was, and I had, even in the NICU, I'd said that I would never leave you. Like we're going to be together forever. All these things that I, I didn't want to ever leave him. Like, not like that. Like, I mean, obviously I'd go for mm-hmm. errands, but I'm talking like, I want to see him grow up. And I felt such guilt leaving. And that guilt got so bad. We're also at a job that was very unfulfilling for me, um, very busy and very stressful. And I went to, I slipped into this awful depression. Um, so I saw a therapist, I got on anxiety medicine and now we're, we're in a great space now, you know, right Mm, now we're both not currently in therapy, but we're open to needing to do it. If we need to, we've talked about couple Mm. therapy for just overall, you know, now we're trying to conceive again. Um, so Mm. that whole process of like, accepting that and going through that and having to do another delivery and having optimism and not worrying about this, you know, the things that happened with Ryan and finding a doctor that we can trust, um, like all of these things, you know, so we're talking about that as we go through our, you know, trying to get another, have another baby. Um, and that's something that we're thinking of doing once we, if we get pregnant, having, um, couples therapy to go through all of this so that we're in a, we're in the best mindset possible. And I'm, I'm just so fortunate that we have the finances to do therapy. Therapy's not free and it sucks to get a good therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know how important it is, you know, and I'm like, look, we move the other finances aside and this is a priority, you know, we need to take care mm-hmm. of ourselves so that we can be better parents for Ryan. And if we have a future child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's so good. It's really, really wise. And I mean, I also think it's one thing to, to, 
to kind of maybe have an inclination that you should do therapy. Because I think like a lot of the Nikki moms we talk to feel like I probably should do this. But to say like, we're going to do this yes. and absolutely follow through. Cause that's, that's huge. Yeah. To take that step. Oh, I told my husband, I'm like the going to like, cause we, we, when we fell into like a little bit of a, a marriage rut right recently. And it was because of the trying to get pregnant and um, it's stressful, you know, and we now yeah. want to have a baby and then we're dealing with, do we want a baby? What if this, you know, all this, like it's a lot of mixed emotions. And we felt yes. we, you know, we had a, we had a big, big argument and we talked about it and I was like, I, I really, I, after, you know, we come after the new year, I really think this is important for us. I'm going to schedule it. And he was like, yeah, if you you want to let's do it um I'm mm-hmm. like I think it needs to happen and we can keep pushing it off but this is going to be so vital for us for our and I'm very big on mental health as you guys know like I mean this is something that for moms for dads I don't care but we can't be the best version of ourselves for our children if we're not taking care of ourselves so um it's it's important I I can't teach you anything about sleep development eating if you're not in the right mindset to do what mm-hmm. I'm telling you so I it's it goes back to how we're approaching our children and that goes back to are we in a good state with ourselves with our partner what do we need to do to get into that state that's a state of, you know, evolution that we're going to keep evolving and not stay static? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a question kind of leaning off of that then is, you know, just in general, this entire process of this experience from the trauma of the delivery and, um, you know, seeing how Ryan had to fight and, and all of his complications and then your complications, how did that change your perspective as a provider I think one of the biggest things is, um, you know, there's empathy, there's compassion. Like I developed this whole nother level of compassion. Um, I mean, I've always been a very empathetic person, but it's very different to really feel what people are feeling, but also say like, how, how can we, how can I make this better? Like, what can I do for you? You know, like this almost, it really made me a better, more a doctor that listens more and also just really understands, okay, obviously in my brain, I may not think this is a big deal, but this person is coming in thinking that this is a very big deal. So how can I, you know, how can I address it in a way that makes them reassured, but also understands that, you know, they have a concern. Um, and so I think it really changed my, how I approach people's concerns in my office. Um, mm-hmm. I also, you know, I have a very warm place in my heart for NICU families. Um, I, I have a warm place in my heart for all families, but I know that personal, that personal grief that we go through, you know, I've, I think I've always seen it, but I'd never really understood it because I never went through it. You know, like all the, the nitty gritty, the fact that when you hear, if you have a baby who is in the NICU and you hear the lullaby j- the song, when you're on the postpartum unit, how, <laughs> how angry it can make you feel, how, how you get angry at things that people just don't understand. Like people won't ever understand unless they were in it. They can say they do, right. but unless you go through it, you know, like being just so upset about the littlest things that other people will look at as little. And you're like, no, this is making me so upset right now. And I just want someone to listen. And it's that, that it made me, you know, so important. And I, you know, I also, I've thought about the way the medical system is managed. You know, I, the, they managed my son very well in the NICU, I have to say, but for my, how they managed me was terrible. Um, they, you know, they basically miss, there was a lot of medical mismanagement for my care and I am a physician. So is my husband. And we, we looked at each other and I had a big meeting with the nursing team when, after all was said and done. And I said, I could have died in your hospital. And, um, you know, I feel like, cause all the complications that I had, they sat on, mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. and I'm a physician and I'm married to a physician. It wasn't, if it wasn't for my husband's advocacy and yelling to get stuff done, what would have happened to me? And think about all the families that go into the hospital for their child, for their, uh, for themselves, you know, and I think, I think it happens a lot more on OB. Um, 
what would have happened if they if they didn't have that person who didn't know what to look out for? He was the one who advocated for me, and I was the one who advocated for Ryan in the NICU. Like, it was a team there, you know? And Ryan's, thankfully, his stay, there wasn't a lot of things. There were some things with formula, like I said, and that they wanted to put him in phototherapy when he medically didn't need it, and I pushed back. I'm like, I think you guys are thinking that he's a premature baby, and he's not, and I need you to remember that, and I was right. They were looking at, they were thinking preterm. And I was like, I'm not, right. I'm not putting another intervention that's not medically indicated for my son. I, under, I love, I think phototherapy is vital, but if it's not indicated for my son, why are we doing it? You know? And I, I pushed back and they were so nice about it. Um, but it was about advocacy. It was about saying, you know, I don't feel like something's right. Explain this to me. Not in a mean way. It's like, I trust you. I appreciate you. Why, why is this the case? Why is there another option? Is there something else we can do? What are the risks if I don't do that? You know, like asking those questions and not being afraid to ask it. That is what I think parents are afraid of sometimes, you know, and I think after becoming a NICU mom, I've become so much more empowered. I'm actually working on the side on how to um, create resources for empowerment in the NICU. Um, And anytime a child is um, in a medical system that they feel like they're not being supported, because I feel like sometimes we're scared and we don't want to say it or we trust, we put so much trust in physicians and nurses, which I think is important, but they're also human. They also will make mistakes. And I don't, I know people don't want to hear that, but it's important to remember that you know your baby best, which I know we'll talk about, but it's so important to remember that. And I learned that from being a NICU mom. Hmm. That's incredible. It sounds like, um, the things you're working on are, I can't, I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see how they come to fruition. It'll be really yeah. cool. Um, and such an important perspective. It's hard. I mean, I think people, and I, I don't blame, like, I don't think there's one person to blame, right? I think sometimes when right. something happens, we want to blame, like, I never look back and, and I'm not, I'm not angry at my OB. We didn't do any, like people have asked if we sued our OB because of what happened. No, we are physicians. We understand mistakes happen where I'm healthy. My son's healthy. We're moving on. Right. Um, there was no need for litigation. There was no need for that. Um, and I had big conversations about litigation. Um, and I'm bringing it up because sometimes we, we do, people do think about that, you know, if so there's a trauma there. Um, but we, you know, it's very important to remember that mistakes will happen. You have to look at the big picture here. Um, and it's also just about how this person made you feel, you know, and advocacy. Um, and advocacy is something that I think is, people put a lot of blame, well, the doctor should have done this or this. And I, I don't ever blame my OB. I don't think like, you know, I, I, I think she did what she had to do to get my son out. And I always say, I'm like, had she pulled him, he could have been paralyzed because if she pulled him and, and severed a nerve in his arm or neck, he would have been permanently paralyzed, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. other things that could have happened in my pediatrician brain that I'm like, they did what they had to do to safely get my child out. Um, because they, they can't just yank a body out of a cavity that's encompassing a baby. I know this. Um, and I talked to other OB friends just to understand because, um, it was scary. I mean, you, you, what, this is every OB's nightmare. You don't want to hear that. Every OB's nightmare is that they'll open up and they can't get out a baby. Like I'm like one in a million chance that this could have happened. And it happened to me, the pediatrician and the uh, wife of an ER doctor. I mean, come on, you know, so it's, um, and I'm using that, I'm using our experience and the fact that we're thriving now to really help people, you know, and help people just figure out how they can fight for themselves and their, you know, for their health in medical systems. No, that's so good. And you talk often about, and you kind of mentioned it already of like, you know, your baby best. And so 
you know, one question we get in the group and one thing that you talk about often on your page is how do I know if I'm making the right decisions for my baby? And especially with the past pandemic years, it's been one big question mark. And so, you know, what, how do you begin to answer that as a pediatrician for families who might be wondering? So I think one of the big things when you're making a decision is what, what are my goals for the situation? You know, what are my parenting goals? If you're looking at a big picture thing, what is important to me? And we can use the example of like visitors for just say you have a NICU baby and you have visitors postpartum, right? Um, especially in a pandemic. Okay. I know people want to see my baby. I personally feel a little uncomfortable. Like I'm giving you an example. I personally feel a little uncomfortable having people visit my baby. What are my options here? Let me talk to my pediatrician. You know, let's get some education about risks, all that. Let me get their opinion. Maybe get one more other person's opinion. Don't get 10 different people's opinions on what they need to do because you're going to have a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Get two or th- two trusted opinions that are not you and your partner to make that educated decision. And then you got to look at what do I want? What's important to me? I really want to see my friends. You know, I really like when they visit. I want to see other adults. How can we do this safely? Okay, we can put masks on all the visitors. You know, if anyone's sick, they're not allowed. You know, no one needs to hold the baby. They can just look at baby sleeping. Um, You know, that's kind of things that you can consider. But it's really about deciding what your goals are. What also makes you feel good? And I know, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but like, I I do feel like I don't expect every new parent to know what to do with their child. But I do believe that we gain this sort of sense of what makes you feel comfortable. Like, you know that you're like, Mm, this doesn't sit well with me. Like, I, I don't know, maybe I have just a lot of self-intuition to know that this doesn't sit well. I don't like the way this makes me feel. I don't like the way this, this decision for my baby. Like, it's, it's hard, but it's something that you'll come into as you become a parent that you'll feel like, yeah, this makes sense. No, I don't like that. Something doesn't feel right. Maybe I should get information about that. So that's kind of how you'll, you'll tackle it. And then I always say, like, if that decision is giving you so much stress that you can't sleep because of that decision, because just say you, you want to take a trip with your newborn, okay? If you are so stressed about taking that trip, don't take the trip. Like, if it's going to cause you more stress than not to do that decision or make that, that thing happen, I don't want you to do it because it's not worth it for your mental health. I want you to think about, well, this actually is okay. I'm comfortable with this. And it really comes down to your gut feeling and intuition that'll say, you know what? Mm, I don't like it. You know what? I don't. And I, I do believe in trusting our guts. Like, especially moms, we have this really weird sixth sense of like gut. Like I, I have all these moms come in and they're like, something didn't feel right. And here's the worst that happens, right? The worst that happens if you, you felt like something wasn't right is someone tells you things look good. Here's what I want you to monitor, right? That's the, the worst that happens is that that's it. You went in and it was like, you know, it was fine. The best thing that can happen is you were right and we figured it out for you, you know? Like, it's not wasting anyone's time. You had a concern. You were getting that concern addressed. Maybe it was nothing. But I hope when you go to, you know, just so you have a concern about your child, I hope that when you go in to talk to someone about them, what you ask them is, I see that you're not concerned and I appreciate that. What about, what about my baby or the situation doesn't concern you? They'll answer. The second situation is what are some, you know, things that I should monitor and come back for? So that way you have a plan. You know, you can get into the brain of that doctor because we can't tell you everything, but we can say, I'm not worried because your child's feeding, your child doesn't have a temperature or fever, your child's da da da, but I can also tell you what, what to monitor, you know? And I think we should start doing that in terms of advocacy so that you know that I am making the right decision. Something didn't feel right. Maybe my intuition was off and that's okay. It's fine. But what do I need to watch out for now? If someone tells me my kid's okay, what do I watch out for? And going with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, so good. that's great advice, especially going into the holidays yeah. mm-hmm. because 
people get paralyzed, paralyzed because now now's when people start reaching out. Oh, do you want to come to this New Year's Eve party? Are you going to come over for Thanksgiving? What's happening with that? Right. And you all of a sudden have to make decisions. And like you said, um, if you involve too many people in the decision making process, it can get weighted down. And it's hard when we all have aunties and moms and stuff that (laughs) have opinions. Oh, yeah. They, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. I mean, and, and in some aspects, that, that society of rearing children is so important. But I always remind my parents, like, it can really cloud what your goals are when you don't know. Like, like people ask me, like, how are you, like, I'm, I'm just being, like, people ask me, like, how are you so confident with your choices? Like, you chose to formula mm-hmm. feed. You chose to sleep train. You chose to that. Like, how do you just feel so confident? And I say, I'm like, it's because I'm a pediatrician and I know all the things, like, about about these things, right? Like I know mm-hmm. that kids who sleep train, kids who don't sleep train have great outcomes. I know breastfed and formula fed babies have great outcomes. I know X, Y, and Z because I take care of these children. I know because I take care of it. And that's what I'm trying to educate on my platform too. Um, but you're right. It's, it's, there's so much like, you know, peanut gallery that can really help, you know, sometimes cl- like cloud all that judgment. Um, and then you're like, I don't know. I don't know. And then you feel, and then you get lost and then you're feeling overwhelmed. And then you just feel like, you're a shitty parent when you're not. You're, you're a great mm-hmm. parent. You were that baby was meant for you. You know, you. I, I know people may not believe in that, but I do. That your that baby, however, came into your life was meant for you, and mm-hmm. you are their parent. Like whether you adopted them, surrogacy, you birthed them, whatever way you birthed them, they are yours, and you are now on a journey together, and it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think as NICU moms, that's kind of this this journey of reestablishing trust with your mom gut because yeah. maybe what brought you into the NICU, mm-hmm. you you listened to a part or you didn't listen to a part and now you're like, I should have known. We yes. kind of go through that shame cycle. And so, um, you know, again, hearing affirmations from pediatricians that, no, it's it's never harmful to come in, yes. you know, like because maybe you're reestablishing that trust with yourself and that mom gut. And so, you know, what kind of encouragement – would you give to the NICU moms that are navigating these pandemic years? They're trying to figure out what is right, what is wrong. They're getting tons of information on social media from family. You know, what encouragement would you give them? So, you know, maybe you have moms who are exactly like in the NICU listening to this while they're feeding their baby or, you know, doing touch time with their baby or driving from the hospital home. And, you know, one of the big things I say is that you are doing an amazing job. You are doing a role right now that many women have done, but it's not an easy one to be a NICU mom, mm-hmm. right? To be a NICU parent. It's not easy. Even if we talk about this on this podcast and tell you my story and tell other stories, it's your story, right? You are creating your own story with an own mm-hmm. experience, with your own emotions. And that is your story, you know? And when you're living it, it can feel so hard, right? Like, you know, that, that drive from the, that drive from the, you know, hospital to home or going from the next floor to your NICU, there's a lot of thinking happening. You know, what should I have done? What can I have done better? What, what did I do? I mean, that is normal feelings. I don't want you to ever feel guilty about having guilt. I think we sometimes Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. And then that gives us more guilt. It's a weird cycle, right? Don't feel guilty for feeling guilty. I want you to embrace it and move through it, right? That's how we move through emotions. It's like, Hey, I don't, I'm guilty this sucks so bad. How now can I move through this? How can I embrace this and say, okay, it may not happen in the NICU. It may happen months down the line. Be patient with yourself. Understand that your emotions are all valid. Lean on the people that support you. One of the big things and final messages for this is that I found that when I was in the NICU, there were certain friends that were better for me at that time. Mm -hmm. Certain friends just didn't know how to speak to me even though there are amazing people, okay? And you could have the best friend in the world, but when 
you're in the NICU, that friend all of a sudden becomes annoying. Okay. Like it's okay. It's okay to feel that way. And you don't have to be mean about it. Like don't tell that person you're annoying, please. But just say, Hey, look, like right now I need space. I need space. I love you so much. When I'm ready, is it okay that I just reach back out to you and we can talk again? Because you may not be capable of that friendship in that time because you may be Mm -hmm. triggered by something. You may have, they may be telling you things or the way they say things. That's that's not what you want to hear. And that is what I want you to have insight into, right? Knowing that your feelings are valid and knowing who to lean on and reach out to, which may not be people that you expected. It may be Instagram. Mm -hmm. It may be your, not, it may not be your partner. It may be your mother-in-law. I mean, you may be people that you never expected, Open yourself up to those people and allow them to see, is this the person I need right now for my life as I go through this very real grief? I mean, it is grief. It is trauma. No matter how anyone tries to sugarcoat it, it is real grief being a NICU parent. And you will move through that in your own speed. There's no rush to move through the grief. You know, it is how you will move through it, how you will process it. But you first have to accept it as grief. For you to say, now I need to do what I need to do to move through it, right? You can't say, well, mm-hmm. everyone goes through it. So many people are Nikki moms. I'm not special. I'm not this. No, you are special, okay? You're going through something right now. Your baby is in an isolate. Your baby is intubated. Your baby is has a feeding tube. Whatever it is, your baby is going through something, and so are you. And accept that and recognize it and, and embrace it, if you will. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so wise. Oh, my gosh. I literally in my head was like, I know what these friends and these friends yeah. like, keep making the list. I was like, I remember that, but it's so yeah. true. And I think the cool thing about our community is by having this experience, you learn how to be there for other people in crises, medical crises and NICU, NICU crises. Right. Yeah. So the coolest part about our community um, is that you have the experience and then you get to be the person who's there, yeah. who says the right things, who says, actually, yeah, here's a gas card and I mowed your lawn and it's good to go. And yeah. I'm here to sit with you and hear whatever you have to say. Right. Yeah. You learn how to do that. And uh, that's like one of the coolest parts about this community and one of the biggest blessings we have being here. And look at you now. Right. Like, I think it's cool how your career has kind of it seems like it's had this big turn. Yeah. Right. In which mm-hmm. you're you're focusing on advocacy and supporting parents and I imagine your journey with Ryan is part of this. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I when me and my husband talk about things, we also, anytime we go through a hardship, we're like, what was the lesson that we needed to learn from this? And we even said it when we were in the, when I was in the ICU. What, what, is, what is the, why is this happening? Not, not like, woe is me, like this is, like, why is the universe doing this to us? Like, why is this happening? Why is this hardship coming to us right now? And I would talk to him, like me being, for, like with an NG tube down my throat, talking to my husband while my son's in the NICU. I'm like, Something, there's a reason for this. And I told my husband in the NICU, or sorry, in the ICU, I said, I am supposed to use this experience to help other people. Like, this is what my, my purpose is. And I'm going to go on Instagram and I'm going to share this story. And I'm now going to also turn this into advocacy that no mom will ever, in the long-term future, have to ever experience what we experience. You know, it's not, I know it's a bold goal, but like advocacy. And it's, 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 I knew that there was a reason for that. I knew that I also needed to go through this because I was so type A. Everything was like, you have to do things this way and this way. And then this experience taught me to learn to let go. I learned to let go. I learned that I can't control everything in life. I could do everything by the book and things can still go Ari, right? It's not always going to be me. It's not me. It's life. It, life will throw you curveballs and it's not your fault. 
it's never your fault any of this happening. It's just life. And that going through that is what showed me like all of that, right? I mean, if had I never gone through that, I don't think I would be the person I am today. I feel like I'm a, like, I do feel like in a way I feel powerful. Like I feel powerful that I've had this medical experience as being, you know, a doctor, but also I've had this personal awakening. Like I was, I went through this huge personal awakening in Mm -hmm. I, how I approach stress, how I approach everything, like everything changed ever since I had Ryan and not even just because I'm a mom. I think it's because I became a Nikki mom. Yeah. There's a pretty powerful transformation that comes when you become a Nikki mom and a mom. And so thank you so much for sharing about yours. And, um, you know, as we kind of close out this episode, we just want to reaffirm the Nikki mamas listening, whether you're in or out of the Nikki, that like Dr. Mona said, you know your baby best. And so whether you are on a journey of reestablishing trust with yourself, you're on a journey of healing to what does my gut say? Is it anxiety? Is it something I need to listen to? Then mama, you will always be the best mom for your baby. And so Dr. Mona, thank you so much for your vulnerability. Thank you so much for the work that you do for the NICU community and families everywhere. And we're excited to see where your practice takes you. Um, It was just an honor to have you on the podcast today. And we really just appreciate your transparency and advocacy that you have brought to our community. So thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. I, again, so grateful to join you all um, to share this experience with, you know, women who've gone through something similar, such a blessing. And again, I just got an hour of therapy. So thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) We did too. I don't need to, I don't need to call my therapist. This is great. Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. It's really, really beautiful. Thank you so much. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here and mamas. We will catch you guys next week. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or a private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.